Welcome to this week's episode of Pour Another Round, where we're here to discover and share the stories behind the breweries filling up your glass. Today, we're chatting with Alex from Noble Roots Brewing Company in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And this is just a nice family story that will make you feel just as good as the beer does. It's a tale as old as home brewing, but for some reason, this one hits a little closer to the family roots. Maybe it's in the name, but the Fallish family spent many days brewing together in the kitchen and eventually the garage. They also had many family and friends drinking their beer while they brewed in the garage. And the reason they moved from the kitchen to the garage is a good one. But anyone who has had their beer at the brewery should be thankful that they had to make that move. This slight move allowed them to invest in bigger and better equipment, thus brewing better and more beer. The whole reason they even got into home brewing in the first place, though, was after a couple family trips to some major beer countries in Europe. You know, that kind of sounds like a dream come true. Travel, drink lots of beer, learn to make beer, brew professionally. Uh, but you know what? On second thought, I'll just stick with the drinking professionally. That definitely sounds like the uh, easier step in the process. <laughs> Remember, practice makes perfect. So grab yourself a beer and practice drinking with us as we get to know Noble Roots Brewing Company in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Cheers to these sponsors for supporting our podcast. This episode is sponsored by the book Green Bay Beer, A History of the Craft, written by none other than co-host of Pour Another Round, Cameron Teske. Green Bay, Wisconsin has a rich and proud brewing heritage beginning in the mid-19th century. Get your copy of Green Bay Beer, A History of the Craft on Amazon. Pour around as you join me, author Cameron Teske, on a beer journey from 1850 through today. You can even read more about today's brewery guest in the book. If you'd like a signed edition, message Pour Another Round on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Pour Another Round, or author Cameron Teske on Twitter and Instagram at TNormac. That's Cameron T. Backwards. I'm Cameron. And I'm Jonathan. And we, we like, like beer. beer. Some of the best stories start with beer, but now it's time to make beer the story. Pour another round and drink with us as we explore the stories behind your favorite beers and breweries. Today we're sharing a round with Noble Roots Brewing Company in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and we're joined by co-owner and head of brewing operations, Alex Fallish. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. So, Alex, Noble Roots can, can trace its roots back to home brewing starting in 2009. Something special about those early days is that it was a big family affair, it sounds like. Talk about some of those characters who made up those early home brewing days and what was so fun about making that good beer from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, early days, it was the entire family. I wasn't actually super involved in those early days. I was, you know, legally a little bit too young to drink. But, um, I, you know, it was my dad, myself, my brother, Tyler, my brother-in-law, Jordan. And then, you know, as time went on, we had a lot of family friends that would brew with us in the garage once we got kicked out, out into the garage. Um, and there, there are still people that help us out every once in a while. Our uh, family friend, Larry, will help us bottle if we if we need an extra hand. So there's a, a big group of people. And how many family friends helped you drink the beer then? <laughs> well, that quite a few more. We were brewing uh, five-gallon batches like most home brewers for a while using extract and then brew in a bag in our garage. And especially in the summer, there'd be you know, 10, 15 people there. And you get to the end of the night and you're like, oh, crap, there's 
you know, 30, 35 bottles gone and we only made 48. That's not, <laughs> we're really not, we're not headed in the right direction, mm-hmm. which I mean, in a way was good. It forced us to, to get a different home brewing system, you know, so we can do 10 gallon batches and actually make some headway and ultimately improve the quality of our beer. You, you just mentioned that you started brewing in the garage once you got kicked out of the kitchen. So what was that? What was that catalyst that uh, said, we better get in the garage? <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't we better get in the garage. It was more my my mother saying, you're done brewing in the kitchen. <laughs> and this was this is pretty early in our home brewing days. We're brewing a, a Belgian triple an extract batch on uh, on my mother's brand new glass top stove and you know belgian triple is really high in alcohol which also means really high in starting sugar content and in those early days you know we're in a it's a small stock pot so we're it's three gallons and then you add water later so that's even more sugar and uh, you know someone it wasn't me but someone i won't name names turned their <laughs> back and in a split second, it boiled over right onto that brand new stove, fills oh, no. <laughs> the kitchen with smoke. You know, I, I see my my dad runs off to open the patio door to to get some of that out of the built out of the the room, and my brother gets the the pot and it stirs it so it stops boiling over. Of course, like hyper focused on making sure we salvage the batch. The, the most important part was the beer. yeah. The most important part, <laughs> I think my my dad's he spent like three weeks. Like get just getting some of that burnt sugar off the top of that glass top <laughs> stove, but my mom was like, "I don't care what it takes. Done. You're you're done in the kitchen. Do, buy whatever you need to buy. You're in the garage now." In in hindsight, it was a good thing. Yeah, a blessing sure. to to have to then go out and buy bigger and better things. Exactly. Absolutely. And it sounds like a few European trips and study abroad stints also played a huge role in the Fallish family's knowledge of beer to continue, you know, to continue learning and improving the process. So what was it about those experiences that became so influential for you guys? Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have started homebrewing if not for the first family trip to Europe. So my my older brother, Tyler, was studying abroad uh, in Utrecht, just outside of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And for most of us, it was our first trip out of the country. And we went to the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, and France. So some some pretty solid beer countries. We joke around. So at the time, my dad was working for a, a beer distributor for one of the, the macro distributors. And like he couldn't, he didn't really drink anything heavier than Bud Light at the time. <laughs> um, and he'll, he'll admit it. He had craft beer. Like the, the distributor carried Red Hook and, you know, it was wasn't like brand new to him, but, you know, drinking some, you know, drinking an unfiltered wheat in a small brewery in, in Bruges, Belgium, kind of opened all of our eyes to, to beer in a different light. And then when we, we got back, my, my brother graduated from college and moved back home for a little while and was like, hey, we're going we're gonna to try this. We're going to try home brewing. And that was really a, a big kickoff. The second kickoff was, you know, we, we still homebrewed a lot, but it was you know, every couple of weeks we'd make a batch. I studied abroad in uh, in Germany, not anything beer related. Uh, it's for actual classes. I mean, I studied plenty <laughs> of beer. Don't get me wrong. Um, the extracurriculars. Yeah, I, I I definitely had a spreadsheet with every beer that I had there. But um, you know, it kind of reignited my uh, my desire to to, to homebrew. Um, I got back and um, I had ta- I was taking a, a semester off of school right after that. So I was like, okay, we're just going to brew all the time. And 
you know, jumpstarted our homebrewing and kind of put us on this path. I think that's a really cool thing about travel is like, no matter where you go, when you maybe what my opinion, when you do it right, you really dive into the local culture. So you head out to, you head out to California and now all of a sudden you're, you're really curious about red wine or you go to mm-hmm. go to Kentucky and now you're really curious about bourbon. So I think that's a really cool kickoff to, to your brewing experiences. Oh, for sure. Going to really like the, the motherland of beer, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, even back then, so that would have been, I went abroad in 2013, I think. I mean, craft beer is definitely well-established in the U.S., but it's grown so much more since then. Um, you know, when we first started planning for Noble Roots, I think there were about 3,000 breweries in the U.S., which that's was near a high watermark. I, I think pre-prohibition was like 3,800 or something like that. So we were already nearing a high watermark, but now there's seven, eight plus thousand. So the, the U.S. craft beer market continues to change. And I mean, I would argue while Europe used to be the the beer motherland, there's a lot more going on in the U.S. and we're, our, some of our stuff is getting exported back out. Mm-hmm. And those, uh, those new styles of beers are being made elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a, a favorite beer or brewery when you were, during your time in Germany that you discovered? I mean, I probably, the favorite brewery, there's a, there's a 600-year-old brewery in uh, Chesky Krumlov in the Czech Republic that which is super cool. I mean, that ta- that town is ancient. It's it's, you know, a lot of it's still around from medieval times. Um but that brewery's been operational for I want to say 600 years and this really cool beers and they I mean, they make a solid smoke beer, really nice Czech pilsner. I probably Bitburger was probably the beer I drank the most of and I think you can find Bitburger um here. Bitburger and Franz's Connor, Franz's Connor wheat. But you can you can get those here, but it, it they definitely taste a lot better over there. <laughs> well, all this talk about beer, I think we're gonna we're gonna crack your first yeah. beer here. Absolutely, and, and we have your Fleeting Glory Hazy IPA. And yes, this, this is a, a series, correct? But this is the yeah, first, this is the first one to be canned, right? Um, we've canned the 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 first version of Fleeting Glory once or twice okay. in a in a yellow can. So yeah, we we came up with Fleeting Glory. The intention all along was we wanted it to be a series of beers. Um, This is the first time we've done one different than the original. So uh, the original highlights Belma, Azaka, and Eldorado hops, which are a really great combo. This one highlights Galaxy, Comet, and Polaris hops. So kind kind of a space theme. Hazy IPAs are intentionally or not like low shelf life beers you, with that amount of hop it's just not going to stay fresh forever so in a way the beer itself is is fleeting it's not meant to be saved forever it's not a, a imperial stout so you know just like on on our original la- label we kind of focused a lot on some joke trophies kind of highlighting the the fleeting nature of excellence in sports and on this one we decided to highlight my father in his high school football photo um, and myself in my high school track photo, you know, our, our heydays of athletics. <laughs> a, a little bit of a cheeky nod to uh, Absolutely. past glory days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> not that my, I mean, his, his football days were probably somewhat glorious. My track days, not so much, but we can pretend. <laughs> <laughs> Drink enough beer and then you can talk, talk about how great of a track star you were. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think this is a, a fantastic beer, and it's got that super hazy look to it, which I, yeah. I, I love the hazy 
haziness, hazy IPAs, and uh, I think this is a really good one. And I love a beer with a good story, and and this label with the trophies with your your high school sports pictures. Yeah, the pictures are great. <laughs> they already tell that that story, <laughs> and then you take a drink, and then you like it even even more. So yeah, for yeah. sure, you haven't changed a bit, Alex. <laughs> uh, I think I'm. I might be a few pounds heavier considering <laughs> the beer, but um, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. It happens. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> so we we talked a bit about the um, this being being a series, mm-hmm. and is there? So you said this was the second one in the series. Yep. Is there plans to to kind of continue to grow that series and, and oh, anything yeah. that's that's in the works right now that you want to let us know about? So I guess, so we, we have a, a pilot series or our garage series where we we're always piloting new things. So from our perspective, any, any hazy IPA that we do through that series is kind of fair game to potentially become a, a fleeting glory. Okay. So actually uh, this one that we ended up with was garage series number 87. Wow. And we, we did garage series 87 and garage series 90 were two that we were like, okay, it's going to be one of these. Uh, we just really liked the the hop characters in both of them. At some point down the road, Garage Series ninety will definitely be be a, a fleeting glory as well. We just don't know when at this point. We'll we'll see how fast this one goes. We might make this one again. Um, I think we probably have two or three you know set uh, versions ready. Uh, the the base beer is all the same, so same grain, same yeast. We just vary the the hops. The hopping schedule stays the same. We've we've done a lot of piloting on hazies, and we figured this is one. This is a series that we like. We're happy with the results. And you seem to like to to try different hop varieties. You you know, there's three of them in in uh, the in this in this beer with the Comet Galaxy and Polaris hops. Mm-hmm. But you've talked about you know other varieties that you've worked with too. So you do you have have a favorite of any of those, or you like just kind of trying different different varieties? We really like to experiment with a ton. We've probably used 60 different hop varieties in, in, in our beers, especially in hazy IPAs. We, we try and keep it to no more than four different hops because you don't want it to become too much of a hop salad where um, you're not letting the, the characteristics shine. Um, there tends to be one hop that really dominates the, the flavor, in it, especially in hazies. So for this one, Galaxy is really the, the showcase uh, the Polaris and the Comet can help complement it. In the original Fleeting Glory, El Dorado is uh, is kind of the showcase, and Azaka does a good job of of complementing that. So, and, it, and that's kind of that's kind of our our process is okay. We, we want to put in one, let's say, buzzword hop. So, Galaxy, Mosaic, Citra, El Dorado, Nelson Savin, you know, those those kind of well-known hops and then you want to put in some hops that complement them well and how do you know which hops to do do you have that planned out beforehand or do you really just have fun with it and order newer varieties that come out and be like well let's just let's just get it we'll play around with it ourselves and then we'll find a beer to make like that i usually plan it out in advance so um like if i was going to sit down and put together a recipe i would look at like okay what what hops haven't we used like i don't We've used Nelson's event a little bit, but I would, let's say I wanted to put that in a hazy IPA, I'd start out with that. And then I'd, I'd maybe look for some other hops that also have a little bit of grape character, just based on, you know, what the, 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 the growers are putting out as the, the profile. And then I'd build it that way. And you guys have not, have you tried growing your own hops before? Uh, yeah. I mean, we had, 
we we have really well-established plants in my parents' backyard. We have a set of Cascade and a set of Mount Hood. A couple years ago, we did garage a couple garage series as you know fresh, wet, hop beers. It's a hassle. <laughs> Um, we like, we, I don't think we harvested the last two years cause we just don't have time. We also like had the really great idea of, uh, putting up a, a quasi hop farm in, in Wrightstown. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my aunt has some land like right off the highway and we, we put up 16 foot trellises. We planted probably 40 rhizomes and then it's just, it's not worth the work to manage it. You know, I, feel, I feel the same way about homebrewing where I've done it a little bit and I'm like, this is a hassle. I'm just going to leave it up to the professionals. <laughs> it is a lot of work. I'm, I'm not going to lie, but hop growing is not, and our, our equipment isn't really well set up to use whole leaf hops. Oh, okay. we, we use pellet mm-hmm. hops. We can use holy if it's just a real, it's a real nightmare. So I always say like, oh, this, this fall we'll harvest what we have at my parents' house and we'll use it. And then by the time, like six other things are going on, it never happens. Yeah. You, just, you just click order and then they show up and they're ready to go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're ready to use. Yeah. So at, at what point in your homebrewing process did the idea and the plan really start to take a, a realistic shape that you guys are sitting around brewing a beer one day or drinking a beer and you're like, we can do this on a professional commercial basis. What what made you guys take that leap into the bigger options in there? It kind of, so, you know, I talked about we were brewing five gallons and effectively netting no beer. So we decided, okay, we need to, we need to get a system that we can do 10 gallons. And we want, we had been brewing, brewing a bag, which use all grain, but it's, you know, it's in a mesh bag in your kettle effectively. And it's, it works, but it's not nearly as efficient. So we knew we wanted to go, uh, something that was truly all grain. We started talking to the the gentleman who owned the House of Homebrew store, the homebrew supply shop in Green Bay. And we were like, okay, can you give us any advice? Well, he had a system that he had built sometime before then. He hadn't been using it. And we're like, okay, well, can we just buy it from you? <laughs> and he was like, uh, I don't, I don't know. It probably took him a month. It took us a month to convince him to sell it. So we, we purchased that and, you know, it's a, it functions in the exact same way as a, as a standard brewing system, just a lot smaller. So once we had that, um, we, we, we saw a pretty dramatic, uh, increase in the quality of the beer we were making. You know, it's, it's always great to, to hear from your buddies that are drinking free beer in your garage <laughs> that the beer tastes good, but it's never really a hundred percent true. Like <laughs> it's not, they're not all good. Let's be, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but when we, we upgraded that system, we started to enter our beer into some competitions. And then, you know, we were part of the, the Green Bay Rackers, the Green Bay Homebrew Club, and through them, we got to pour at some events like Rails and Ales and more importantly, Roar Off the Shore. So we started pouring at those events and, you know, we, we talked to some of the other, some of the professional brewers and they're like, just pull the trigger if you're, if you're talking, if you're thinking about it, like you're, you've got the beer quality there, just pull the trigger. And, um, you know, it was always kind of a pipe dream for a lot of home brewers that it's a, oh, I'm going to start a brewery someday. But for us, you know, I, my background outside of brewing is in, in operations and supply chain management. Uh, my dad has a background in beer and sales. So that certainly helps. And then my brother-in-law has a background in finance. Uh, and my brother is in, in marketing as a, as a marketing background. So we kind of checked a, a lot of the boxes. Family, yeah. yeah. We checked a lot of boxes that we, we needed to run a successful business and we're like, okay, well maybe we can do this. Like, 
let's start exploring. And, and then we ran with it. That's great. And so from those early days home brewing, you were in a house garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you're brewing professionally, but still in a garage. Still in a garage. Um, <laughs> can, can you tell us about that building that you're currently in and how you came to find that location? Yeah. So this that the building that we're in today was actually the um, third or fourth building that we looked at. Uh, we had been looking at a building downtown for quite a while that ended up just not working out for a variety of reasons. You know, we were still, we were kind of in the search and looking at one building. My my dad was driving somewhere for his job and happened to pull into this parking lot to work work on something on his computer. And he texted me and he's like, hey, what about uh, 2790 University? And I'm, I'm at my day job down in the Valley and I quick type it up and I'm, I, I'm like, absolutely not, way too small. Just like not, <laughs> right away, told him way too small of a building. That night I went home and I was like, okay, maybe I should look at this again. And by the end of the night, I went over to my parents' house with a preliminary like floor plan for the building. It's like, well, actually, we, we might be able to make this work. Um, and, you know, it, it still took us a while from there to, you know, our building's effectively in a neighborhood. We're, like, we're on the edge of a neighborhood. So working with the city, working with the neighborhood, while it, it was a garage, uh, you know, most recently a window tinting shop, we tore the building down to effectively the block. Like we all the all the water and power lines got cut out and reran. I think I've, I've also heard this story before. I think, and is there some irony that the building wasn't even for sale? Not really. It he had <laughs> had it for sale at one point, but he was just using it. He, he had moved his business to a different building. And he was using it as storage. Like it was chuck full of crap. Uh, there was like a stock car in there. It was real. Wow. It was, <laughs> there was a lot of weird stuff in there, but uh, it, yeah, he, he, I don't think he was advertising it anymore. And we, we reached out to him and he was like, um, I guess I'm willing to sell it. <laughs> so you walked in and it was full of things. How, how did you transform it into what you needed? Like you showed up with yeah, your parents with, with it drawn out on paper. What, what did it take to, you walked in on that first day and then, did you regret it immediately or did you, did you be able to see it? Were you, were you able to see it uh, in action? It was still a little tough. And we actually ended up, we ended up flip-flopping our design completely. So in the the building before we purchased it, there was an office on the right side of the building. And then the left side was where the garage was. And I had originally thought, okay, we'll put the brewing stuff on the shop side. Cause that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but just from a, a flow perspective and being able to have some outdoor space, we ended up flip-flopping the whole thing, but it was a little difficult walking in and okay, this is, you know, there was a couple bathrooms that we had to break down the walls. It, it was tough to, to visualize it, but you know, once we, once we decided we were going to do it and we purchased the building, we did all the, all the demolition ourselves because, you know, we hate ourselves and we wanted to save some money. <laughs> uh, then, then once, once you're in there tearing out, you know, tearing out a drop ceiling and tearing up carpet that's glued to the concrete. And <laughs> then it's a little easier to visualize, you know, work for tearing off two, two roofs. They'd put a roof over, uh, over a, a tar roof, which is not legal. Wow. <laughs> so that was a fun uh, weekend in July when it was like 95 degrees. <laughs> uh, working on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> well, it makes it makes the full operation way sweeter now. Absolutely. Really yeah. Little, yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears. I I think we. I had to get a tetanus shot because I <laughs> I knelt on a nail when we were taking the roof off, and then my brother-in-law also had like got some like some dust in his eye and had to, <laughs> oh my so bl- literal blood, blood, sweat, and tears. 
Well, we appreciate your beer right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, so, Alex, you, you you mentioned some of those reservations initially mm-hmm. of it being a, just a small space. Do you, now that you're you're in there, you've been operating, you know, as a brewery. Does it? Do you, are you still kind of feeling like it's at some point you're going to outgrow that at at this point, or have have you guys been been pretty comfortable um, so far? It's it's too small. Um, <laughs> we I mean we make it work. It's. Uh, it can be a hassle on some days, even on our brew days. Uh, we, we packed in the equipment in the smallest space possible so we could reserve plenty of space for tap room. Um, it's definitely a challenge, but we, we make it work. At some point, we, we love a bit a bigger space, but um, we're kind of we're landlocked on that property right now. Well, and, and you're kind of you mentioned you're in that neighborhood. It is, it's got that neighborhood quaintness to it in the best way. But how how did you convince your neighbors that you guys were were eligible to be great neighbors <laughs> that's that's a wonderful question and it, it okay do you want the full story or the absolutely, brief okay absolutely. full story so um you know we had looked at a different building in downtown green bay so we had, we had plenty of experience working with the city and you know we, we kind of stumbled upon this building and and they said okay you know based on how it's zoned you can't do what you want to do but you can get a conditional use permit which is like just shy of rezoning it you know it's temporarily rezoned for our uses and we knew, um, you know, part of that conditional use permit process, everyone who lives within 200 feet of the property gets notified. And we had a good feeling on what that notification from the city would look like. And we knew it would be not 100% accurate and relatively vague. And we were right. So I'll, um, so prior to that going out, we went to the Schmidt Park Neighborhood Association and we we met with them, uh, met with their, um, like their president, vice president, their entire board and said, Hey, like, this is what we're trying to do. Like, we have a feeling the city's going to reach out and it's going to say that someone wants to open a tavern in this property. And we're like, that's not a completely accurate representation. And it, it took some convincing to the board, like, Hey, you know, we're not going to be open seven days a week. We're not going to be open until 2am. Like this, this is not going to be a nuisance property. And in fact, you know, it, in a way it was a nuisance property property. It was completely, completely neglected. Two of the neighbors were doing all of the lawn cutting so like we're gonna we're gonna take this building, we're gonna do a ton of improvements, and we're gonna make a, a space that the the neighborhood can, can be proud of. Um, so after we the board was you know was convinced that this was a good step, so then we then we went door to door to anyone within 200 feet, and then the neighborhood association decided it would be a good idea to hold a hold a town hall brewery evangelism, if you will. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, how? I mean, I I didn't know how many people were gonna show up to this town hall. It's a it's a neighborhood association. You never know how involved people are. So, you know, we meet at, I think, Curative Connections and it's myself and my dad at one end of the table and there had to have been 50 neighbors. I was like, oh, and (laughs) it was a little nerve wracking. And, you know, the questions started out as like, what are you going to do to control crowd? What are you going to do to control noise? How are you going to stop people from peeing outside, which we have <laughs> bathrooms, so it should be a non-issue. Um, and at the, that was, those were the questions at the start of the meeting. But by the, by the end, it was like, a, are you going to brew a, are you going to brew a stout? Are you going to brew a, a lager? So it was really with very few exceptions, we got the, the neighborhood super excited about having the tap room there. And I mean, to this day, we, we have tons of neighbors that walk down especially in this more in the summer but walk down have a couple beers when we you know we have food trucks pretty often so it's a even there's some some families that walk down grab the food truck walk home which Mm -hmm. we're we're, we feel as though we're we're adding value to that to the community 
Yeah, for sure. And the the craft beer audience most of the time is quality versus quantity. Yes. Are there some craft beer drinkers that get a little rowdy? Absolutely. Sure. We've all we've all been there. Yeah. But for for the most part, it's it's a they're there for the experience, not Absolutely. just to, to slam some beers beer after beer. No, I mean most consumers are going to drink two or three pints and go home. And we're, and we're, we we close relatively early as part of our agreement with the city, so we haven't really had any issues, and the the neighborhood's happy to have us there. Awesome. Well, that's that's, that's good to hear. So let's talk about your name now, Noble Roots Brewing Company. This whole brewing, as we've talked about, is deeply rooted in family. Your logo design is is tree roots. Mm-hmm. Does this have any correlation with a family tree, or what's the what's the actual meaning behind Noble Roots? Yeah. So you know, you you hit most of it there. So we we really wanted to focus on the fact that this is a family run business. You know, this is myself, my dad, my brother, my brother in law. I mean. My uh, like tomorrow we we're brewing. My my wife and my mom have to come and do a physical inventory. They do when we're when we're canning. They're doing the labeling. This is this is a hundred percent a family affair. So my, my dad is a hundred percent Belgian. So you know traditional brewing country. Uh, my mom's mostly German, a little bit Irish. Uh, my brother in law is English and Irish. So the you know the noble brewing countries. So noble roots. And where like whose whose mentality? came up with that that tree roots design is there any any more meaning behind that yeah so we uh we had a really specific vision for our logo we connected with a few different uh graphic designers on uh on what we were going to do and we we told them like we want to focus on the tree we want to show a little bit of roots but we want to focus on the tree because it's the family tree and you know our the designers that we talked to gave us some really great examples Uh, the particular designer that we went with gave us fantastic examples of exactly what we wanted. And then he was like, but you might want to consider these. And he gave us a bunch of things that we hadn't necessarily asked for. And, you know, we, we, we did blind voting as a family. I think must've been 10 of us, eight or 10 of us blind voting. And every single one of us chose this logo with, despite the fact that it's not what we asked for. So he like he knew enough about you know as a part of a, a standard you know RFP process you you explain the business you you so they have an idea of what they're trying to to display and he just killed it. And I'm sure most most family meetings uh, tend to have a little bit more of a serious or uh, like an uh oh mentality, but most most family meetings don't end with uh, let's let's create a brewery. So that's got to be a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's you know a lot of a lot of. Uh, days spent in the my parents pool in the backyard drinking beer and talking about oh well someday we'll do this and it's just it's it's a little odd like reflecting back on okay well that was i mean i guess that that was probably now like seven years ago and now we're four years into having a brewery moving from you know dream to reality is it's a lot of tiny steps. It looks big when you're looking back on it, but it's just a lot of small steps. And I'm sure there's still days where where you walk into the brewery and and you think like, is this is this really my brewery? Am I am I really doing yeah. this for a living? Yeah, it's it's it is really odd. Like it's it's you lose sight of that sometimes when you're like, okay, I know I have to I have to brew this this day. You know, like you're scheduling out the next two months trying to figure out how everything fits, and you kind of lose sight of. I'm actually doing something. I I get to do something that I really enjoy. Um, that we started from scratch. Yeah, take that time to reflect a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is time to pour another round yeah. of of your Noble Roots beer. And yeah, we... did, did, did you get it? I got it. Yeah, <laughs> That's <yeah>. good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is there so, like a, it has to do, am I like contract, contractually obligated to say it once? <laughs> sure, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> um, so you're, the other beer we have of yours is the Midnight Confection Stout. Mm-hmm. And this has been one of Noble Roots beers since you guys opened the brewery doors, right? Absolutely. Yep. So this is one of our, our six year round beers. You know, this was a beer that we made as home brewers pretty often. We, you know, we do some variants off of this. We've done uh, a peanut butter midnight confection that comes out on a, a, a relatively regular basis. Just a, a nice all around stout with, uh, we use coconibs to to bring out some more chocolate, but it's not like over the top chocolate. No, it's got a really nice chocolatey flavor. And I've, I've never claimed to be an expert on beer. So I'm always, I'm always learning new things, but every time I do, I get a little bit excited about learning something new about it. And I had never heard of the measurement SRM before. Mm. So the, the standard reference method is used to measure the color of the beer. The higher the number, the darker the beer. Yep. The, fl- the Fleeting Glory, the hazy IPA that we just drank, has an SRM of three. And this Midnight Confection has an SRM of 38. So this is drastically darker. Yes. Um, so I think that's that's a fun a fun little fact. What, what's the highest number? Do you know? Is there is it a, an end scale or is it just the darker the better? I... I don't know that, like, I think it technically goes to 60, but, like, this is... This is pretty 60, then. (laughs) I think, like, 40 40 to 60 are, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference. And you can argue the same is true with with IBUs. Once you get above 100, potato, potato. It's not going to... Your taste buds can't actually differentiate between 120 and 140. It's it's hoppy bitter. (laughs) It's yeah. It's it's. Uh, I don't think you get a whole lot darker than this. Some of our beers are probably calculated out at you know like forty five, but it's still just as dark. So, is there an actual calculation for measuring that, or is it just like you look at it and is there is there a scale that you kind of compare a palette to? Um, there are there are some apps that you can use to uh, that use a reference point. We use what's calculated in our brewing software. Okay. So where's the where's the name Midnight Confection come from? Did was it was there a, a name that you kind of started with, and then that's where oh, the man. the flavor and the color of the beer came from? Or I'm gonna have to remember back because we named these beers in like like a year before we yeah. opened. Even I th- I want to say it was just called Chocolate Stout when we were brewing as home brewers. So we want to you know Midnight being the the color of the beer, and uh, you know Confection focusing in on that that chocolate, a little bit of sweetness. Yeah. Um, it's certainly, yeah, it's, it's not like a chocolate cake type of a beer. It's more of a, it's more of a dark chocolate character. So like when we make the peanut butter midnight confection, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a Reese's as much as everybody loves Reese's. It's a, it's a dark chocolate with peanut butter. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the origin of the name. So that peanut butter one that you mentioned, is that, is that essentially midnight confection with peanut butter added to it or is there effectively? Okay. <laughs> do, you, do you guys use. I don't want to say real ingredients, but like, do you throw peanut butter in there or do you throw these coconibs in there or is it more of a, a flavor extract? So the coconibs are coconibs. They look like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain what they look like. I, I wish I, I just brought, I just got some in and brought them to the brewery, but um, peanut butter, you, you can't use like regular peanut butter because the oil, okay. you'd kill off any kind of head retention. You know, we've, we've flipped between using PB2, which powdered peanut butter and peanut butter extract and they they kind of arrive at the same the same end game it's just a you got a balance to the peanut butter flavor that you want um we that that's when we we tend to go a little bit more subtle because uh we still want it to taste like the base beer and taste like 
beer in general as opposed to a, a dessert treat. Sure. Well, and yeah, for sure. With with this midnight confection, I am definitely not a an overly sweet beer drinker. Whether it's chocolate, whether it's fruitiness, I like just that mm-hmm. subtle flavors. And I think this one, yep. this one has a really good one where, yep, it's chocolate, but yeah, it's that dark chocolate scale where it's not milk chocolate. It's yes, it's got that hint of that that, that chocolatey bitterness to it. And that's kind of the our guiding principle in a lot of our our beers that have more than just the the standard base style. So like right now we have Elf Queen is our red currant saison, and it's like the red currants are there. You get a little bit of fruity, a little bit of acidity, but it still tastes like a saison or blueberry cream. It's not like over the top sweet blueberry. It's it tastes like a cream ale with just you got a hint of blueberry. It's so more like above the flavor threshold of LaCroix. Like it's not like we're waving the blueberries over the top. It's a little bit stronger than that. And I imagine you want people to be able to drink more than one of them. So exactly. More mild flavor profile probably helps. But no more than two to three based on your neighborhood agreement. <laughs> exactly. Sure. <laughs> I, I mean, as long as you're getting a ride home, I, uh, and, I don't, I don't and count. And not peeing outside. <laughs> and not peeing outside. Ah. Oh. <laughs> so alex the midnight confection's been around from the beginning what are some of your other beers that have been around since the beginning that you're still brewing today so noble roots ipa is kind of our our flagship ipa it's uh it's a little lower in abv i think it's five eight i should know that but <laughs> somewhere around <laughs> five eight the highlight on that one is citra hops so it's you know it's not like a classic west coast ipa it's got a little bit more caramel melt so it's got a a hint more sweetness to it then we have cardinal ipa which is a red ipa that one's you know it's it's red amber to red in color it's got a a lot more sweetness it balances out that uh that hop character that one also highlights citra hops blonde belgian is you know one of our most popular beers i think historically it has been our most popular it's a it's a pretty two style Belgian blonde ale, so it clocks in at seven point one percent, but it's got a nice dry finish, and it it doesn't it doesn't taste like seven point one. Well, you you, meant, you mentioned Marv is one hundred percent Belgian. Is that kind of a is that his favorite there? No, <laughs> no, he uh, Marv doesn't really like Belgian beers all that much. Like he likes blonde Belgian, but he he goes for IPAs and. I mean, the same is true for me. Like we, we have a lot of customers that love Belgian beers. So we, we make a weirdly high amount of Belgian beers, but neither of us, that's not our, not our really our go-to. Is it because you have a little bit of PTSD from your Belgian triple that, that exploded <laughs> in your mom's kitchen? <laughs> that's possible. Maybe that's a, that's a, that's a really good theory. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> so let's see, Noble, Cardinal, uh, so then we have Mackinac Island Amber. So that is a the the base is a pretty standard amber, and then we ha- it has ginger and orange peel in it. So that beer that's one of the. F- Can I tell the story behind that beer? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, so that beer. Sorry, let me just pour a, a little bit more into this round. Pour another, pour another round. round. That was the contract <laughs> right there. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that beer is, uh, that's one of the first beers that we like truly designed on our own as homebrewers. So and my, my older brother designed that one and it was for a trip up to Mackinac Island. Uh, a buddy of his played in the house band at the, at the Grand Hotel. And he was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to take this you know, base kit of an amber, and I want to do something a little bit more fun with it. So we added ginger and orange peel. I mean, the recipe has changed a little bit over time, but you know, amber amber ales are not like 
they're not the most exciting beer style anymore. Um, that, you know, that's, that's a, that's a mid nineties thing, but we feel as though the, that orange peel and the little bit of bite from the ginger really makes that beer pop a little bit more. Yeah. People, people definitely like that one. That one, the inspiration or the, the kind of roots of the recipe came from the homebrewing. And yeah, your absolutely. And all, I mean, all those, those five beers that we've talked about so far, those, we were all brewing, very brewing, very consistently as homebrewers. You know, we wanted those settled in, ready to go prior to opening. Um, and those five, we we definitely had brewed so many times. The sixth one that we opened with was a beer called Hapsburg Pretender. So it was an American blonde ale. We like to think of it as like a faux pilsner. It's 100% German pilsner malt, German noble hops. And then we we used an ale yeast to, and fermented it a little bit on the cold side to try and tamp down on any ale yeast uh, characteristics. And that beer we had up until about a year ago, a little over a year ago. I really liked the beer, but we we really wanted to go a true lager route. Um, so during the the start of the pandemic, you know, we had a little bit more time, so we uh, we decided to try out a, a lager on our on our pilot system, and we made a, a German Hellas. So now Habsburg Pretender has been replaced by Beyond the Pale, which is a, a German Hellas lager. So super light, easy drinking, you know, not as, not as sharp as a Pilsner. Cause it usually you get a little bit of hop character in a Pilsner. Ellis is a little bit more uh, bread character from the malt and a little bit rounder edges, but it's super like, that's pretty much all I drank this summer. It was nice to have a, a nice lower ABV lager to drink when it's hot out. You mentioned your pilot series just now, and we've talked about it before to continue on that garage theme and pattern. You've mentioned that garage series that's really, it seems like your opportunity to just really have fun with the beer. So talk about, you mentioned what is beer, Garage Series 90. So you've done 90 mm-hmm. pilot pilot batches. What what has been some really standouts? I saw, I was looking at the list and there's like a pumpkin pie ale. And yeah, that was a good one. There, there's some fun ones in there. So talk about how you really get creative with those. Yeah. And that was something that we always wanted to do before we opened. We want to make sure we really continue to stick with our roots to you know from being heavy-handed we wanted to make sure that we were trying new things all the time continuing to experiment i think we released the first garage series so we opened in early march we released the first garage series in early april of of, of what year of 17 it was a month in and we already had the first garage series we actually so our old homebrew system we upgraded it a little bit so we can do 15 gallon batches and that's what we that's what we're releasing um, usually, you know, it goes on tap on a Thursday and when it's gone, it's gone. And we try to release a new one every two weeks we have adjusted. So, you know, since probably June, we've been bottling and then now we're actually now canning our garage series to give people an opportunity to take it and enjoy it at home. But yeah, we, I think garage series 95 is the, is in the fermenter right now. So nine, I think 92 is coming out next week. So early March of 2021, we've done some ridiculous stuff. So we, we did a, a Gruet, which is what beer was before hops were like a, were a thing. Um, so, you know, pre, pre hops, like 15, 1600s, people would use what a bunch of different spices to, to bitter the beer. So, and we legally, we, there are some hops in it cause we have to do that. Um, the, that ride heights got you, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this one we use 
it we it was a it ended up being like a 10% beer because we used um some locally sourced honey um but then we used heather bog myrtle and wormwood branch to to bitter the beer which wormwood is probably like a wormwood root is what's used to make absinthe like real absinthe and and it also is used to make malort yes it is used to make malort um yeah why did you have that right there <laughs> he loves malort he absolutely loves malort. It's feet and that's it's feet in a so, bottle <laughs> it's so bizarre um so uh wormwood branch can be found in the wild we 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 have some family friend sources but there's a you know there's there used to be a wisconsin-based liquor called um vermox so vermox was a it's kind of whiskey and vermouth uh mix with a wormwood branch in it and it turns bitter because of the wormwood branch and it I think the distillery went out of business quite a long time ago, but you can still find it around. Like some bars bought up cases. Is that like Wisconsin's version of of uh, Malort? Yeah, it absolutely is. It tastes a lot better, though. Okay. Let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> I swear to God, it tastes better. I'm gonna have to find a bottle of Vermont. So if anybody knows anybody, yeah. let me know. Yeah. Uh, we have a regular that he, him and his buddies hoarded like 20 cases, but they're already that was like 15 years ago, ah. so they're running out. But the wormwood branch, you know, it bitters it in a similar way that that hops would. So while there was effectively no hops in the beer, it still had some bitterness to it from the wormwood branch. That's pro- the, so the Gruet's probably the weirdest one we've ever done. But we are it's it's really all over the place. Like the most more recent ones, we did an Oud Brune, so uh, a, like a, a tart brown ale. A lot of hazy IPAs, of course. Um, one that we've done at least twice is a. Uh, amber ale with anaheim peppers grown in my in my mom's garden and that one we we try to bring back because people really like it it's you know it's it's not over you get a lot of pepper taste without too much heat because anaheim peppers aren't terribly hot Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it we're literally willing to try anything under the sun we we've recently we've done a lot more sours because we're trying to just push our, our our sours a little bit more so we're experimenting with different fruits different processes yeah, it's really a blank canvas for us to to try out new things, and sometimes it's it's stuff that we'll we have no intention of ever doing again. It's just for the fun of it. Sometimes it's like, hey, we we might want to do this. Let's let's see how it goes. Let's see what how people react, and then we'll go from there. And, and you mentioned you were bottling it for a little bit, and now you're starting to can it. You have a lot of your beers. You're starting to put into cans. I just stopped in the tap room the other day, and and they're all beautifully displayed on the on the bar in there so what does your distribution footprint look like and where can people find your beers great question so we uh for a while we we barely we barely can we bring in a mobile canner out of illinois and you know we'd have two brands at a time for a little while and then would have nothing despite all of the negatives of the the covid pandemic it's kind of forced our hands on a number of things and one of them is you know we bought we bought a small scale canning line because we wanted the ability to to can a little bit more you know, now we have all six of our core beers in cans and most of our seasonals. Our footprint's still relatively small. So, you know, Ridgeview Liquor in Ashwaubenon and Wine Cellar in De Pere are kind of our, our mainstays. Um, they always, like anytime we come out with a new beer, they they have it first. We also are available a couple places down in the valley for retail, usually uh, Cork and Cap and Cellars Wine and Spirits. Recently, we did uh, start distributing to Woodman's, 
which has been a, that's a, a weird change for us to go to a, you know, a big retailer. Um, so you can get all of our core beers at Woodman's, you know, we're a little bit unique to uh, unique to the Green Bay breweries where we still self-distribute our beer. So most of the breweries or all of the breweries in Green Bay, most breweries in Wisconsin are signed with a, with a beer distributor that, you know, moves all of their product to retailers. Um, we still, again, hate ourselves and we do all of the selling and distribution uh, to all of our accounts. So both draft and can, um, we're the ones showing up at, you know, 6am on a Saturday to deliver cans. Cause they, they ran out the night before. So if you see Alex with a pallet of beer on his dolly, be sure to just take one from him to help him out. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> so Alex, you refer to yourself as a self-taught brewer who revels in mm-hmm. the recipe, des- the recipe design process, which requires an intimate understanding of how ingredients interact in order to create a memorable beer. So was this a lot of experimenting and learning lessons the hard way or, you know, did the science and create creativity that goes into beer kind of come naturally for you? It's been a lot of experimenting. Like I, I've taken plenty of science classes, but I, it's not like my forte. I don't love reading an entire chemistry book on brewing water. I forced myself to read it twice. So I, that sounds unique. Doesn't, <laughs> yeah, that... doesn't everyone? <laughs> I had to read it twice to fully comprehend. And, you know, I, I tried to get into a UW Madison has a great fermentation sciences program. And I tried to force my way into a, a much higher class than I was qualified for. And they like, wouldn't let, like, I was like, can I audit the class? They, they wouldn't let me in. So it, you know, it's been, it's a combination of, you know, a lot of different podcasts absorbing as much information as I can. I have countless books that I've read through, you know, every day is a, a, a new learning experience. We we've historically made a, a Goza called Salty Leaps and, after reading a, a book by one of the premier breweries of Goza's, uh, Anderson Valley, you know, we, we, we adjust, changed and ad- adjusted our process because, you know, there's certain things that you don't know until you, until you know them. Yeah. It's, it, it's tough because m- my schooling background is certainly not even close to anywhere reminiscent of science. So I, it's, it's been a lot of, uh, forcing myself to learn things that are out of my comfort zone and then, and then trying to apply them. And that's where, you know, having the pilot system is really helpful. It gives us a, you know, if, if I screw up and we have to dump 15 gallons, I'll, you know, I'll cry a couple tears, but not, not like a, not like I'm dumping 250 gallons. Yeah. It's, it's been an interesting process. I'm definitely a lot more comfortable with it now, you know, 150 plus recipes in, but I mean, there's a lot more for me to learn. Well, and you mentioned that you, you guys joined the Green Bay Rackers, the the local homebrew mm-hmm. club. And from the little bit that I do know of the the Green Bay brewing scene, in terms of your side of it, you guys are very collaborative and and willing to help each other out when necessary. So, like, was there someone that kind of took you guys under your wing or at some of those home brewing meetings? You you can just kind of brainstorm and say, you know, I I struggled with X, Y, Z. Man, that was brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Struggled with X, Y, Z. Like, how have you guys solved that before? Yeah. I mean, the Rockers were super helpful. A lot of those guys have been brewing for, you know, since it was legal or even before. So that was helpful to bring beers there and say, okay, here, taste this. What do you like? Okay. This tastes off. What could it potentially be? So we could problem solve. Um, When it came to actually starting up the business, um, you know, we talked to a lot of the Green Bay, the Green Bay brewers to try and get their insight. I think that the person that was probably the most helpful to us was 
uh, Brad Stillmank from Stillmank Brewing Company. He, he was completely willing for to sit down with us and like run through a list of a, t- a huge list of questions of things that we just didn't know about because we had never done it before. And he, he was super helpful, even though you know we're we're right down the road from them. He was ridiculously helpful in answering our questions, and even to this day, you know the the Green Bay Brewers do a, a yearly collaboration brew called. Um, locals, only. locals only thank you <laughs> we just had a meeting not that long ago i don't know why that <laughs> slipped my mind so yeah we do a, a a yearly collaboration brew and this is probably the first time in forever that any of us have seen each other and getting together having a couple beers talking about what we're going to brew bouncing ideas off each other it was, it was really interesting because you, you can you can get a little bit of information and insight into how some of those brewers you know make the little tweaks that they make to make their beer their own and how we can apply that uh, collectively. And I think that's really cool and, and, and you know, a testament of the brewing industry, um, you know, and especially here in the Green Bay brewing industry that you, you guys do all seem to be pretty collaborative and, and willing to, you know, help each other out. You're, you're, you're kind of all in this, you know, in this together in the, in that there's, we've heard multiple times that, yeah, we want people to drink our beer, but the more breweries there are, the better it is for all of us. Oh, 100%. I mean, no one brewery can do all the evangelizing and converting people over from drinking their bush light in a can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have we have, we have have to all do it together. Get people to, you know, maybe you go to, you know, Titletown as your first craft beer experience and you're like, oh, wait, well, this, this is way more flavorful. And now you're open to Okay, what else is around? So it, it everybody's working towards converting drinkers. Yeah, you know we're 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 technically we're competitors, but we're all still craft beer is such a small part of the market. Especially, I would argue in Green, Green Bay, craft beer is still behind you know state and national average. So the more people we convert, the more the better we're all going to do. When when one of those macro light beer drinkers walks into your tap room, what is your conversation with them and what's kind of that introductory beer that noble roots is pouring that will say okay we're not going to blow your socks off right now but we'll we'll ease you into this craft beer thing yeah and i mean converting people is a huge focus of ours so you know we're big about okay we were going to give you some samples because we want you to find something that you really like you know historically since we opened it would typically be okay we're gonna we're gonna have you try Habsburg pretender because the, the faux pilsner that's going to be the most approachable we also want you we want you to try blonde belgian because it's light and easy drinking, way more flavorful than the swill that you're used to drinking. Um, Are you referring to Blue Moon? I I don't have a problem with Blue Moon. I just don't drink it. <laughs> I don't know the last time I've had a Blue Moon. It's got, it, years. Um, even a, like a Bud Light drinker, usually now we'll have them. Now it's hey here. Try Beyond the Pale, but also just just try Blonde Belgian because Beyond the Pale is going to be the closest that you can get. It's light, easy drinking, unoffensive lager. But maybe you want something with a little more flavor, and you just you don't know that yet because you because you haven't experienced it. You don't know what you don't know, and I've heard you say that yeah. before here already. Absolutely. Well, I've said it before on this on this podcast, and I'm going to say it again. And I've promised I will say it every time I can is that I think the altogether collaborative beer started out of uh, other half brewing in new york was such an amazing thing and and i want to recognize every brewery that's been a part of that breweries all over the world they brew their beer to raise dollars for each respective local breweries hospitality industry during the the worst economic parts of the covid global pandemic noble roots is on the impressive list of breweries that that also contributed to their community 
So when Noble Roots was facing the the same adversity that many of these other places that you eventually helped out, like how did you guys decide we're in a shitty situation too, but we want to do what we can to give back? Yeah, honestly, it was it was for us it was a no brainer. So you know, other half is located in New York. My my older brother and our head of marketing. He lives out in New York. It's his, it's his neighborhood brewery, one of his neighborhood oh, that's, breweries. That's cool. And he found about, found out about it and kind of you know sent us a, a link in our in our communication app. And it was easy decision. Like, yep, we're in. Like, we're signed up right away. <laughs> you know, I think breweries are a little bit better positioned to weather the storm than a lot of other types of businesses within hospitality. You know, we were able to pivot and package a lot of our beer. We were still able to serve to go where a lot of retail establishments were not. So we knew that at the end of this, we'd, we'd be fine. So we wanted to make sure that, you know, some of the other places, especially in Green Bay, that people people love, people come to Green Bay to visit. We want to make sure that they were going to be around when this is all over. I feel like the last time we talked about this, I was assuming this would be over by now, but um, <laughs> and yet, here we are. And here we are. Uh, we wanted to make sure all those those places were still around. So, considering we were we were in better shape, we're like, okay, what can we do to 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 help? What, what can we do to help? And you know, it's a it's a it was a really cool thing that they did, and they did it in a way that gave breweries kind of the flexibility to direct those funds. Like probably a year before that, we did um, we did a, a collaboration brew. All the Green Bay breweries did it with Sierra Nevada as relief funds for the campfire out in um, out in California, and which again really great cause. And but you know, all of the money directly for that. So the way that this was structured, it kind of gave us the flexibility to, to make sure that those funds were being directed back into our area. And it, it, it was just, uh, so in partner, in partnership with the convention and visitors bureau, we were able to direct those funds to some really great organizations that truly deserving and that, you know, green Bay as a, as a community needs to have around. And so you, you talk about that collaboration and that sense of community amongst the breweries in Green Bay. And so I imagine that has, has a big part to do with it. But what are some of your favorite aspects of the brewing industry and being a part of it yourselves? Yeah, that, that's certainly a big part of it. The fact that, like, you know, I can every once in a while I'll see Brad, uh, Brad and Aaron Stillmink at the, the tap room and be able to sit out and chat with them. For the most part, we like, we know what's going on in each other's lives. We, you know, it's a, it's a, when you run a small business, sometimes it's a little bit isolating because it's you and your employees, but to have other people who are, you know, in a way doing, doing the same thing as you that you can, you know, reminisce with and share some of the the challenges uh, can, can be really, really nice. And then just being able to go have a good beer at a fun establishment, because I mean, that's what all of the all of the Green Bay breweries are just really nice, fun establishments. So when, when you find yourself out and about, whether it's at a Green Bay brewery, before we go, we want to know if you're not drinking Noble Roots beer, whether it's beer, whether it's whiskey, whether it's we've gotten a lot of tea answers. What do you find yourself <laughs> drinking? Um, I, so if you would have asked me this like three years ago, uh, Founders Altogether IPA is like just that was a that's my one of my fridge beers like i always have it around unfortunately they they got purchased by uh i believe a spanish company and i'm not knocking their decision to to sell but i like to you know support privately owned uh u.s breweries i mean i'm typically going for uh, a hazy ipa or fruited sour obviously like you know still makes come out with some hazy a hazy ipa badger state makes plenty Oso makes a ton of great sours there's, oh man, I 
I mean, I'm, I'm typically gravitating towards, I'm going to a brewery as opposed to, I don't spend a, I don't have a, a ton of free time to go to, you know, bars to, to drink beers there, but so I'm, I'm gravitating towards breweries. There's just a lot of great options right now. So between your, your full-time day job and full-time brewing, you don't have a lot of free time. <laughs> not a, not a ton, a little bit every <laughs> once in a while. And and when you do, you're still uh, still trying different beers and probably doing a little bit of a uh, thinking of 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 um, you know what's next for you. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It's like okay, twenty four seven job. Yeah, it's what, how can I like okay? I really like this. How can we you know riff off of this or you know maybe make a, a pilot that uh, kind of highlights some of those same things. I mean that's that's how we uh, that's how we came up with Cardinal IPA was. Uh, was a beer from that I really loved at at Vintage Brewing Company in Madison. Do we have time for another story? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so um, my my super senior year at at Madison, I lived uh, I lived over by the Capitol and Camp Randall's a pretty solid walk. Yeah. Um, so on Badger Gate Badger game days, I would hitchhike to the stadium to a friend's house to pre to you know to drink before the game. I mean, you walk home and it. Uh, Vintage Brewing Company, their downtown location was just a little bit past the halfway point, so that I would get there <laughs> to have a, to have a, a beer. And they usually in football season they had a, a hoppy red ale called Better Off Red, and I was like, this, this is a great beer. So I, I I will fully admit that our Cardinal IPA is is a riff off of that beer. It's a, it's a little bit higher ABV, a little bit hoppier, but that was kind of the the inspiration for for that beer. Do you have, do you have any? Uh insider info on future beers that you love that you've had that you really want to bring to noble roots and say you know we want we, we like this beer from this brewery but we're gonna make it noble roots mm. i had a hazy ipa from eagle park not too long ago that i really liked i i liked i uh, i think the hop uh hop interaction was really nice so that might be at some point either garage series or on the, the future list for fleeting glory so my, my older brother will send us beers from, from New York every once in a while, which I think he's probably due because we send him beers. <laughs> we send him beers out there because, you know, he if needs you to want to send him a message via this podcast. We will let, we will let you <laughs> yeah, Tyler, you got to send me some beer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, he'll send us beers out from, from New York. So it's a really good insight to the coasts are always a little bit ahead of the Midwest. So it's an, right. it's a good insight into where the beer market's going and, you know, some of the beers that we got there were a good push for us to push a little bit more into uh, fruited sours and beers with ridiculous lactose and vanilla and marshmallow. That tends to be a, like we'll try something from you know Evil Twin or Other Half or Bissell Brothers and and kind of that'll give us a, a good jumping off point. So that's a pretty good resource for you to have uh, someone out in New York to yeah. kind of giving you that inside scoop on what's coming down the pipe in the brewing industry. For sure. The big thing right now is uh, pastry seltzers, which just is, it's, it's an obnoxious thing. So it's, it's a hard seltzer that then has a bunch of fruit and lactose. So like hard seltzer is supposed to be like low calorie, low ABV. And then you just like (laughs) throw sound low cal. No, it's not at all. They're good. I'm not going to lie. It's just an obnoxious concept. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Alex, we really appreciate you joining us today. And for our listeners, make sure you head to Noble Roots Brewing in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Get yourself a beer. Um, say hi to Alex and the, the whole Fallish gang that's that's running around. And make sure you pour another round for us. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Thanks, Cameron. Have a good one. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Pour Another Round. Be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at Pour Another Round. We'll be sharing news and information from breweries that are friends of the show. You can find out what we're drinking and hear about upcoming featured breweries. Until next time, be sure to pour yourself another round.